Almighty God, you've promised that your holy word will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire and it will succeed in the matter for which you've sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I was uh, listening to a radio program recently in which they were uh, talking, the host was talking about arranged marriages uh, versus, uh, I guess what we would call love marriages and the differences be between them, the advantages and disadvantages uh, of each. And of course, as you might expect, uh, in arranged marriages, oh, and by the way, uh, more than half of all marriages in the world uh, are still arranged. Divorce, you might expect, is less frequent in arranged marriage situations. You have really the joining together, not just of two people, but of two families. And that's not true in every case, but in many cases, the families have an interest in seeing the marriage succeed. There's a lot of support there for the couple. Uh, I've read that in India, the divorce rate is about 1.1%, if you can believe that. Uh, worldwide, among arranged marriages, it's about 6.6%. Uh, for love marriages, it's 40 to 50%. Uh, and one uh, issue that they never discussed, uh, I, I went online, I did some research on this, I never found this discussed, but I thought this, would, this is really important. Uh, which of those two scenarios would be a more stable environment to raise children? I mean, I really don't know because I didn't find it discussed anywhere. But I thought to myself, probably the one in which divorce is far less frequent. Again, there's exceptions to every rule. And um, I am not advocating for arranged marriages. But I would say this. I think what may sound strange to us is something that we would be, or should be, maybe slow to criticize. Um, are we so much better at the marriage business than others are that we should be lecturing them on how to do it? I don't think so. So uh, even though marriages in our own culture used to be arranged, that was far more frequent than love matches, um, in this country today, in our culture today, marriages are not arranged. Or are they? What if not just your marriage, but your entire life was arranged by God? Would that frighten you? Or would it comfort you? In our gospel lesson for today, two things are happening to our Lord Jesus. In verse 21 of our gospel lesson, on the back of your bulletin, he's being circumcised. That takes place on the eighth day after his birth. And in verses 22 and 23, he's being presented to the Lord. Now this would occur uh, at least 40 days after his birth because also involved here is the purification of Mary, uh, purification uh, for her after childbirth, for her readmission to temple worship. Uh, this took place 40 days after the birth of a male child. 
And so, and by the way, the two turtle doves that are being offered are for her purification. Uh, it has nothing to do really with, with Jesus and his being presented to the Lord. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But basically, to present Jesus to the Lord means, God, he's your property, okay? He belongs to you. That's what you do when you bring your child to the Lord, the firstborn male. Now, here's my point. No one asked Jesus if he wanted to be circumcised. No one asked him if he wanted to be presented to the Lord as God's own property. No one sought his consent. That decision was made by other people. It was made by his parents. And so I would ask you, uh, is that wrong? Now, I was baptized as an infant. No one asked me if I wanted to be baptized. No one sought my consent. No one said, well, now we're going to wait until you're old enough to make up your own mind and you can decide this on your own. No, no one did that. Others made the decision for me, namely my parents. Was that wrong? You know, if someone is trapped in a burning building, the firemen don't ask for the person's permission before they conduct a rescue. They simply do the rescue. That decision is made for the person. And we would say that's the loving and that's the responsible thing to do. If you want to leave money for your child to inherit, you don't ask your child's permission. You do it because you love your child. And there's no law against love, at least not yet. And as the parent, you have more wisdom than the child. You know what the child needs better than the child does. So you make decisions for the child in every area of life. And yet, when it comes to spiritual matters, some people say, oh no, you can't do that. Well, that's precisely why the Lord put you here. It's the loving, the responsible thing to do. So your sermon outline on the back of your bulletin, uh, the title is called Arranged Lives. And first we discuss Jesus. Uh, Roman number 1.a, this goes back to Exodus 13, our first reading for today. God says you bring the firstborn male opening every womb, whether it's human or livestock, you bring them to me. God does not ask for the firstborn. He claims them as his own. He claims them as already his. You know, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, right? But here in, in this ceremony, it is to be a remembrance of the Israelites' deliverance from Egypt. Lest they forget that their freedom and their existence as a nation was brought about by God's destroying the firstborn of the Egyptians, both human, uh, males, and livestock, that procured, that was the price of their freedom. Lest they forget that, God said, you bring your firstborn to me. They are mine. And in fact, the intent here is, uh, you bring them to sacrifice. Okay. But God doesn't believe in human sacrifice, and so the Israelites are commanded to redeem their firstborn sons. You don't redeem the firstborn animals. They're gone on the altar. They're slaughtered, okay? But you redeem the sons with five shekels of silver. That was the redemption price. It's still that way today, five shekels 
of silver were the equivalent of that, about two and a half dollars, something like that, okay? It's not a huge sum, but that's, that's the redemption price. And that actually uh, mirrors our redemption. You see, you and I were bought back from death, the devil and hell. We were bought not with gold or silver, but with the holy and precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so uh, this ceremony then of, of giving the firstborn over to God and buying them back is really a perfect picture of the salvation for all the world that Christ has accomplished. So it's, it's really an amazing thing. It's a picture of our salvation. Uh, letter B, Christ's life script was written before his birth. And, and I cite Hebrews 10, 7, and there's a whole bunch of passages you could cite about this, all the, all the prophecies that were fulfilled, uh, and so on. But this is from our uh, epistle reading last Sunday. Last Sunday was the fourth Sunday in Advent. It wasn't Christmas yet. And from Hebrews 10, 7, it reads like this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. You see, Jesus uh, was not born to do his own will. He was born to do the will of his heavenly Father. His life was not his to arrange. It was arranged for him by God himself. So that's, that's Jesus. And we would say, okay, that is Jesus. His life was arranged by God. Uh, but I'm not so sure about me. Well, let's talk about you. Roman numeral number two. Letter A, you are in Jesus, God's firstborn. Now, let's, let's get this straight, all right? When people here, especially people like the Jehovah's Witnesses and other heretics, they will they will say, oh, God's firstborn. That means Jesus is God's first created creature, right? Uh, he's, he's not God. He's first created. Now, that's a complete misunderstanding of what firstborn means in the Scripture. In the Scripture, firstborn means the legal heir to the estate. The firstborn was the one who inherited the father's estate. It does not mean first created. It means the rightful heir. For example, uh, back in the book of Genesis, uh, Ishmael was born to Abraham 12 years before Isaac was born. But Ishmael was not the firstborn. Isaac was the firstborn because he was the rightful heir to Abraham's estate, designated so by God. He would receive all that Abraham possessed. Now in the same way, Jesus is the firstborn and he inherits all that the Father possesses. Number one, under letter A, you were chosen in Christ before the world began. Ephesians 1, 4, I cite that. Uh, he chose us in him, meaning in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Whenever Scripture speaks of predestination, it speaks of it in a salvific way, not in a way of condemning to hell. No one's predestined to hell. Rather, when predestination occurs, it is to life. It is to eternal life with God 
in heaven. We are not chosen to be to the exclusion of others. We are chosen for the inclusion of others. God has called us out of the world, out of darkness into light, so that we might call others, those around us, into the same light. That's why we're chosen. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And I also cite Jeremiah 1.5. There's other examples of this. Uh, but this is what God said to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. You see, salvation has to be this way, or it wouldn't happen. It's flat out would not happen. I cite uh, Genesis 19.6. This is the story of, uh, we'll talk more about this tomorrow evening as well, at New Year's Eve. But um, this concerns the destruction of Sodom. And uh, the angels were sent by God to Sodom to rescue Lot and his family. And so uh, it's just about the zero hour and uh, the city's gonna be destroyed uh, soon. And so the angels tell Lot, they say, okay, go to your sons-in-law and tell them the city's gonna be destroyed. They have to flee now. So Lot goes to his sons-in-law and he tells them the city's gonna be destroyed. And they seem, uh, to them, it seems that he is jesting. They don't take him seriously. They laugh it off. So Lot comes back. And the angels say, look, you've got to leave now. Get your wife, your daughters. We're out of here. And then we read, Lot hesitated. He would not follow. He was reluctant to leave what he had. He was reluctant to leave behind what he had known which was Sodom and its luxury, uh, the affluence, the comforts that were there. He would not leave. And so what do the angels do? They decided for him. They seized him by the hand and they seized his wife and his daughters and they led them out of the city. Otherwise it wouldn't happen. And we read in Genesis 19 verse six that the Lord was being merciful to Lot in doing so. Dragging him out of the city was a mercy. So let me ask you this. Would you really have chosen on your own to follow a crucified Messiah? I would contend that the only reason you and I believe in Jesus, the crucified one, is by divine revelation. Faith is a gift of God. When the apostle Peter confessed his faith in Jesus as the Messiah, what did Jesus say? Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, that's how it happens. God decides for you. You don't decide for him. You wouldn't do it. Number two, you share Christ's birthright and privileges. You share his birthright. And that's stated really clearly in Hebrews 12, 23. Uh, that, uh, that verse refers to us as God's firstborn, as the rightful heirs of God. Now, that raises a question. If Jesus is God's unique son and the rightful heir, what are we doing as rightful heirs as well? Well, it is by virtue of our connection to Jesus that we are rightful heirs. We have been united to Christ in baptism and through faith in him. And so now, because we're connected to Christ, it means we receive what he receives. We participate in his firstbornness. 
And I, I cite the example of Genesis 25, verses 5 and 6. Um, Abraham had other sons besides uh, Ishmael and Isaac. Uh, after uh, his, his wife had died, after Sarah had passed away, then uh, he took another wife, Keturah, and he had a number of sons by her. And you know what he did? He gave them gifts, and he sent them away from his son, Isaac. He sent them off to the east, away from the land that had been promised to Isaac and to Isaac's descendants. And so, you know, th this is how God works. All people on earth receive gifts. None of us deserve the gifts, but all people receive gifts. Some people receive only earthly gifts because that's all they want, okay? But everyone receives gifts. Only those, however, who are connected to Jesus Christ, only those who are rightful heirs along with him receive what God has to give spiritually. And then number three, God gave Jesus parents to make decisions for him, and he gave you parents or grandparents or guardians to make decisions for you. And keep this in mind, God is always your true parent. I would tell my daughters that, you know, I'm not your true father, your true father is in heaven, okay? And if God is our parent, then we're always his children, and God is always graciously making decisions for us. God is always arranging our lives in such a way so as to reveal his mercy to us. And then let her be. The kingdom of God is not a democracy, it is a monarchy. And that's even better. Let me ask you this. Have you ever tried to get in touch and to speak directly with your congressional representative? You ever tried that? You probably won't do it. Well, you'll speak to a staff person. And they're busy, and they have a lot of people that they serve. And so to actually get to see them eyeball to eyeball is a very rare thing. And I'm not putting them down for that. It's just, I'm just saying access is limited, okay? And we live in a representative republic. And it's a wonderful thing, and we thank God for it, right? But this monarchy, the kingdom of God, means this. The monarch is your father, okay? You have direct access to him, not limited access, but direct access to him through the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a far, far better thing. Now, I'm not advocating, uh, just like I'm not advocating for arranged marriages, I'm not advocating for monarchy, but I am saying that this monarchy is different from all others, and this is one that's far better than any representative republic. And point B1, you are not redeemed to do whatever you want. That is not freedom. It is bondage to self. To do whatever you want is bondage to self. And I cite Romans chapter 6. This is how Paul states it. For when you were slaves of sin, and I emphasize slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? I mean, there's things that all of us are ashamed of that we'd like to forget. If we could go back and live that day over again, we would live it differently. I know that, you know that. We're ashamed of those things. And then Paul says that the end of those things is death. You see, not only is the end death, but in this life, to serve self 
is to never, never be satisfied. Because the self simply cannot be satisfied. No matter how much it accumulates, no matter how much it's given, it's never happy. It always wants more. Number two, therefore your life is arranged by God to bless others and to experience the joy it brings. Your life is arranged by God to bless others. And, and I cite Jesus here, and uh, this is a quote from Jesus outside the Gospels. St. Paul makes reference to it, Acts 20, 35. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give. Uh, blessedness goes far beyond happiness, but it includes happiness as well, okay? It's far more happy to give than to receive. There's no greater joy in life, my friends, than to serve others in a meaningful way, even if it's those people that are the closest to you, your spouse, your children, and so on. There's no greater joy than to forget self for a few moments and to give your time and attention to them. That is true freedom, you see. It's freedom from self and the demands of self. And my friends, if you are not experiencing joy in life, it's for one reason. It's because you are not giving yourself to the people God has placed around you. You're giving to yourself. If you're not experiencing joy, you're not giving to your spouse or your child or your friends or your acquaintances the time and the attention they require. My friends, it really is more blessed to give than to receive. And if you're not experiencing that blessedness, repent. Repent of it. Repent of your bondage to self and live the life of blessedness and joy that God arranges for you. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.